10. Don't be afraid, the Lord Jesus says to the Apostle Paul in Corinth. Don't be afraid, keep on speaking, and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. Well, the start of 2015, I wanted to pick this verse really as, uh, as a verse that I hope will encourage us, spur us, shape us as a church in this year ahead. And I think it, it contains two important themes that we see weave throughout the whole of the book of Acts. And it's these themes of the sovereignty of Jesus Christ in his mission and our participation in it. Now, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ in his mission and our uh, participation with it. Um, you, let's step back from this particular passage and, and, and just look at the whole book a little bit. And then, and then what I want to do is to focus in on two areas and see then how it applies to us today. That's what I want to do this morning. Uh, it, it is obvious to every person who reads the Bible as God's uh, authoritative, inspired word that the Christian church has a mission. Uh, we've been given marching orders. Uh, the Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded with you, uh, and go into all the nations to do that, and I, the promise of his presence with us as we do that. And you'll find four or five uh, different places where this great commission is expressed. And I think if Jesus said something once, we should pay attention. Uh, if he says it twice, three times, four times, well, at that point, really, it should grab us by the throat. It should grip us, and it should shape us. And the exciting thing as you look at the book of Acts is it, is, is it works out uh, the way that they responded the wonderful thing about the book of Acts is that you see the disciples filled by God's Spirit going out and being his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth where it is marked really by Paul going to the very heart of the Roman Empire as, he is in, as he's in Rome. And uh, we should notice that really that uh, the great commandment is not a great suggestion. It's not a lifestyle choice option for the keen Christian. It's for the whole church. It's for every Christian disciple that we are to engage in this gospel mission. There is a church planting movement called Acts chapter 29. Uh, that is to say there's only 28 chapters in, in Acts gospel. But Acts 29 is trying to say, well, actually, the, the, the ongoing movement of the gospel going out into the world, planting churches, is what we are called to be about. And you see the active participation of the disciples in this, don't you? As they go, the word is spread. As they go, even as they're scattered through persecution, they continue gossiping the gospel. And you see these three C's going on. You see conversions, you see conflict, and you see churches being planted. But alongside all of that, you also have the amazing sovereignty of Jesus Christ. Uh, the book of Acts, its fullest name is the Acts of the Apostles. And, and, it, and I can understand why it's called that, because the, the focus is very much on what the apostles did. But some have said, well, no, it's more the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because it was empowered by the Spirit. 
But even better way of describing the book is the continuing acts of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. The very beginning of the book of Acts, in the very first verse, it says this. Dr. Luke writes this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he's chosen. So the clear inference is this, that uh, Dr. Luke gave volume one, all that Jesus began to do and teach, uh, volume two, the book of Acts, all that he continued to do and teach in his heavenly ministry uh, through his spirit-empowered witnesses, the apostles. That's what we've got going on here. The sovereignty of Jesus Christ in his mission. He's continuing to lead and direct this mission. And yet he does so through the willing, active participation of his disciples. And I want us to focus in on a couple of areas to see this and to to learn from it as we think about where we are in our own church life together. So the first area is in Acts chapter 16. So why don't you turn to that? And we see this dynamic happening in the whole subject of guidance in the mission. Acts chapter 16, and you'll find that on uh, page 1111. If I was a bingo caller, it'd be legs 11 twice. Uh, all the 11s, 1111. I'm not a bingo caller, though. Acts 16. Verse 6 to 10. Let's read that. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days days. Notice with me how proactive Paul is in this missionary advance. If you look back at chapter 15 and verse 36, it says this, sometime later Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. It seems like Paul said, okay, it's time to Check up on those guys that we met the first missionary journey. See how they're getting on. It seems like it was Paul's idea uh, as they pushed off. There was a bit of disagreement on the team, which we'll skip over for now. And, uh, and, and we have two missionary teams formed out of that disagreement. Uh, God is sovereign even over some of the difficulties. And, and then, basically, we see from chapter 16 onwards, uh, the, the apostle moving west. If we put a little map up here. Uh, they started in Antioch on the far right of the picture, and they basically push west through Cilicia, going to the towns of Derby, Lystra, Iconium. And it looks like they want to kind of keep heading west. And if they did so, that would take them into the Roman province of Asia. They would have taken them down a road that would have gone through Colossae and then down to Ephesus. But it says that the Spirit 
uh, didn't allow them. It stopped them from going west. So instead, they sort of uh, headed north, and they thought, okay, we're going to push into Bithynia. But then the Spirit, described here as the Spirit of Christ, forbid them from, from doing that as well. Verse 7. And so the kind of the missionaries are hemmed in. They, they're not allowed to go west. They've uh, south, north. Uh, and so they kind of go through a territory that leads them on to Troas. Down this corridor. They can't go one way. can't go the other way. Kind of keep going down a corridor to Troas on the coast. And there they receive this uh, vision. Paul receives this vision of this man from Macedonia calling them over. And uh, verse 10. After they'd seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, this is, a, this is a key moment for us. This is how the gospel got to Europe. And think about all the different things that um, shaped how the gospel got to Europe. Paul and his team were proactive. They wanted to achieve the mission that Jesus had given them. And so they head off. But as they traveled, you notice the way the Lord Jesus sovereignly directs and guides that mission. Uh, we don't know exactly how the Spirit told them not to go in that we don't. We're not given the specifics. But as they traveled, they experienced this negative guidance. They were closed doors. They wanted to go west, but the Spirit, in some way not explained, uh, kept them from preaching the word in that province. They wanted to go north, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them. Again, we don't know how. Uh, and so they just keep moving along till they get to Troas. And then they get this positive step of guidance, this vision, this open door. And uh, even though they concluded that this was an open door, uh, as this man from Macedonia calls them over, if you read on in chapter 16, it's not as if their plan was without difficulties or struggles. A vision of a Macedonian man, come over and help us. And you know what? They, they, they get there, and it's not entirely clear who this man is. In fact, the first two people that Luke mentions are women. And then they get uh, flogged and thrown into prison. Now, from that vision, uh, I doubt they expected all that had transpired. Before the night was over, their consistent witness, even in suffering, would be the means that a jailer and his whole family were saved and were baptized. Well, here is the sovereignty of Jesus Christ in his mission and our participation joined together. We push forwards. God redirects. His plans uh, at times can look perplexing, but the mission moves forward. Now, the truth is that, we, that nobody likes closed doors. They're very frustrating. We might pray, Lord, would you lead us? Would you guide us? And then a, a wonderful promising opportunity opens up and we move towards it we get excited and the door just closes and we ask again well Lord what do you want me to do another option opens up and again it's another exciting option but then God closes the door it's the sort of thing that can get us quite depressed we say Lord you, I, I ask for your guidance and all I get in closed doors we think that God's not answering our prayers or that he doesn't care about us that we've made some mistakes that somehow we've stepped out of God's plan Closed doors can be very frustrating, but they're actually one of the ways that God guides his people. Now, some people have a view of guidance that when you're in God's will, you know you're in God's will because everything runs smoothly. The parking spot opens up. 
Uh, there's no trouble. There's no hassle. There's no difficulties. Well, I have to say, I, I just don't see that in the Bible. Um, some have expressed concern about the delays over the building project. Uh, what's going on with these delays? Is God telling us uh, that we've made the wrong decision to buy Shanwick? Maybe we should sell Shanwick quick and hang on to Rose Street. But I don't share those concerns at all. All along the way, we have prayed and discussed and been united, and that's been shared by uh, uh, not only the unity of the elders, but by the majority of the members. And so I think we shouldn't be anxious when we've had closed doors, but instead have a sense of patient excitement to see what will be the door that God opens up, uh, the, the, the opportunity the Lord Jesus wants us to step into as a church as we engage in his mission. And as a steering group, we are hopeful that there's a new possibility that was not an option two years ago that might well be the, the, the way forward in the sale of our Rose Street building so that we can proceed to refurbish in 2015 the other building and hopefully move into it in 2016. And we've been praying all along that God would lead and guide us. And, and, and I believe he's been answering our prayers. And some of the ways he does that is closed doors. And now we can begin to see some of that positive guidance. This is how God leads and guides. He uses circumstances. He uses our reason. Uh, he uses us as we push forward in his mission. And he guides us. He guides us through uh, uh, individuals. He guides us as, as a group corporately. Uh, it seems to suggest that um, uh, from the vision of the Macedonian uh, man... Uh, that it says that uh, they concluded together that they should travel to Macedonia. It was a decision that they made together as a team. The sovereignty of Jesus in his mission and our active participation in it, we see it in guidance. And we see it also in this dynamic of salvation. So let's turn to Acts chapter 18, which gets us closer to our verse of the year. Uh, Corinth was a major Roman city. It was a cosmopolitan city. It had a mixture of ethnicities, social backgrounds all thrown together. It was a center of commerce. Uh, goods were constantly traveling backwards and forwards from the ports across a, a land crossing. It was a corrupt city. Uh, there were 10,000 prostitutes linked uh, with the temple worship of Aphrodite and with all the abuses and trafficking associated with that. And what was Paul's frame of mind as he came to this imposing, cosmopolitan, corrupt city? Well, I think he was probably very discouraged. He'd faced difficulties and opposition wherever he had gone. He was flogged in Philippi, imprisoned. He'd been through an earthquake. Uh, he'd been run out of town in Thessalonica, and he was, he was anxious about how the young church was, would be fair without him with the hostility of those who opposed them. In Athens, the results were meager. A few believed, but there's no mention of a church being established. So it's not hard to imagine that when he arrived at Corinth, there was a sense of disappointment. Uh, in his letter, first letter to the Corinthians, uh, that we have. He wrote this, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. This was how he was as he came to Corinth. 
And there he is, uh, arrived without his team. He was on his own, and there were not enough funds. He needed to go back to the work of making tents to pay the bills. Let's read it, Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogues, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus and and a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. The Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charge, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle a matter yourselves. I'll not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, and the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern, whatever. I tell you what, that was a tough synagogue to lead, wasn't it? Poor Sosthenes. <laughs> so I think he came to Corinth discouraged. Didn't have the funds, so he goes back to tent making. Meets up with this, uh, the, these fellow Jews, these immigrants, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, who'd also recently come and set up a tent-making business because they'd been driven out of Rome. And there he gave himself um, to the, the, the regular work of making tents. And then on the Sabbath, he would head to the synagogue. And for two or three hours a week, he would seek to uh, meet with his fellow Jews and uh, take the opportunity of reasoning from the Scriptures about the Christ and proving that Jesus was the Christ. So what do we see Paul doing? Well, he's discouraged. It's a huge big city. There's not many believers. It's tough. And yet he gives himself to plodding, faithful, word ministry, which he finances himself. It's nothing dramatic. And yet it continues to be an honorable way that many people minister in countries that are closed to the gospel. In many ways, I hope it's how you see yourselves as members in this church. That you are self-financing yourself to be engaged in the work of the spread of the gospel in this city. Uh, Working uh, for your money, 
We're taking the opportunities that the Lord gives to, to help you say something useful for him and to be engaged in spreading his kingdom. It's certainly how um, I saw myself when I was working as a dentist in Scotland back in the 90s. Uh, for a number of years, I worked as uh, three days of dentistry to self-finance myself, four days of ministry in the local church. Uh, such plotting, self-financed word ministry can look small and insignificant, but it's clear from this passage it's not. It was beginning to have an effect. At the beginning, it didn't look promising, did it? He was rejected from the synagogue. He was, um, he was kicked out of it. And so he... he uh, shakes his clothes in protest and he kind of goes next door can you imagine the tensions on that street as the synagogue leader of the time crispus became a christian can you imagine how tense it would have been how difficult in the middle of that the lord jesus speaks to encourage paul as he engages in his mission wouldn't it be great to have a verse like that to encourage us oh there it is Everything about this uh, verse is encouraging, I think. Um, there's lots of ways the Lord Jesus encouraged Paul. The co-workers return. And uh, Silas and Timothy, what a blessing to be in a team. It's been a great joy <clears throat> over this past week uh, to join with members each night of the week to pray for the work. To hear fellow leaders, their, their hearts are concerns for the spread of the gospel in their ministry and in the life of the church. Hugely encouraging to be part of a team. But they also brought finance. Uh, Silas and Timothy brought some financial gifts, enabled Paul to uh, leave the tent making behind and to focus on the gospel mission entirely. And that's why I think it's so exciting that the thank offering this year is going to go to the Bona Trust. Because actually we need more and more gospel workers willing to kind of leave their regular jobs to lead churches and to start new churches and to see gospel advance in Scotland at this time. But the, the great encouragement comes from what the Lord Jesus says to Paul in the middle of the night. Verse 9, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to harm you and attack you, because I have many people in this city. Don't be afraid. Actually, it could be translated, stop being afraid. What, 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 what the words imply is that Paul was afraid. I think it's encouraging to hear that, isn't it? He's not some superman, impervious uh, to pain, opposition, and hardship. No, he was, he was frightened. He was a bit shell-shocked. But God says to the Lord Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. I wonder, as you think about 2014, the year that's gone by, how, how often has fear held us back in 2014? I wonder how often it's held us back from speaking uh, for Jesus in the past year? How often has fear held us back from making progress for Christ in our, in our lives? Don't be afraid. And then he says, keep on speaking. Don't be silent. This is how we show we're not afraid. We, we keep on speaking. 
He must have been tempted to stop speaking with all the difficulties that were coming to him from his speaking. But the essence of Christian ministry is to keep speaking God's words, the gospel. Uh, to keep proclaiming Christ. The mission will not progress if we remain silent. You know, I think there are great cultural pressures on us. It's been amazing to me to read some of the uh, opinion pieces relating to the uh, terrible events in Paris. And really, some writers are just saying, well, the problem is, is, is religious people who take their religion seriously. It's, you know, we're, we're all getting lumped together. Uh, you know, there's, Christians aren't storming um, cartoon places, are they? Not storming um, kosher restaurants and, and supermarkets. Uh, no. And yet, we're, we're made to feel, well, it's, it's the problem is you people who take, take your faith seriously, you're the problem. Keep quiet. Keep it to yourself. That's, that's the pressure that's being put upon us. Don't speak about Jesus in the university, in the hospital, in the workplace. Uh, don't speak about it in the marketplace. And against those cultural pressures... Uh, it's very tempting just to keep our heads down, never speak up. But Jesus tells Paul, keep on speaking. Now, why is that so important? Well, we, we see that in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes through hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. People will not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if they've never heard of him. We have to be those who keep on speaking the message. So don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. And this wonderful promise, I am with you. It's the same promise of the Great Commission, isn't it? I am with you. We are here in the city of Edinburgh, and we're not alone. We've got each other, which is very encouraging, isn't it? Let me tell you something more encouraging. Jesus is with us. Do you remember what Jesus could do? Jesus did. He stilled the storm with a word. His very presence would terrify demon-possessed people. He raised the dead. He's conquered death. And he's with us. He's with us in this mission. And then Jesus promises that no one in Corinth will be able to harm him. Um, I'm not sure that we can universalize that. Uh, there are many Christians who have experienced harm, uh, even in this last weak for their faith in Christ but it was a specific promise to Paul that he, 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 he was going to continue to be able to work there without being harmed and we see that as he gets dragged before uh, uh, Gallio the proconsul, who wouldn't even hear the case Paul Sosthenes had it uh, not Paul and then here's the wonderful promise I think at the end why should he not be afraid why should he keep on speaking because I have many people in this city. Just think about that phrase. Because I have many people in this city. He can't be referring to those who are already Christians because there weren't many. There were few at this point. When he says that there are many people in the city, this is what the, the Lord Jesus is saying, that in his sovereign purposes, there are people that he had chosen that would be saved in the city of Corinth. And God has sovereignly chosen to work through those who speak the words. He has the sovereignty of Christ and our participation in his mission. 
He says, Paul, you keep speaking because I want to keep saving people in this city. There are people who will be saved, Paul, as you engage in speaking this gospel words. It's hugely encouraging, isn't it? Now, I know some people think, well, uh, if we talk about the sovereignty of God and, and election and people being saved, it's going to put people off from engaging in evangelism. Well, that's not the case at all. Look at the result for Paul, verse 11. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. I think it is hugely encouraging in difficult, uh, the difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in the West today where there's such hardness to the gospel that the reason the Lord has put us here to keep proclaiming the word is because he does want to save people in this city. That's why we have another year where we have another day, while we have another week opening up before us. The Lord has us here for a specific purpose. He wants to save people in this city. Now, the Lord Jesus spoke of this, didn't he? Uh, in, in John's gospel, he says this, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So Paul is to continue speaking the word of the gospel because through that, people are going to hear the voice of the Lord Jesus, hear his call upon their life, and are going to repent and trust Jesus and become part of the church. Uh, the truth is that people in Edinburgh are naturally unresponsive to the gospel. In fact, that's always been the case. We all start as being spiritually dead. And since we go out into Edinburgh this week and we're called to evangelize in a spiritual mortuary, preaching in a cemetery doesn't get a lot of results. But the only reason to keep on doing this is this promise of Jesus that there are specific people he has chosen, he wants to bring to spiritual life through the activity of sharing the gospel of word ministry. And that knowledge is something that uh, keeps us persevering. He's with us. He's promised to be with us. His, his presence is, is one that comforts us. But more than that, it strengthens us. It empowers us. People will respond and be saved. I wonder what is the Lord Jesus calling on us to do in Edinburgh this year? Well, it's very similar to what he called us to do last year. Go and make disciples of all nations. He wants to mobilize us as members of this church to open up God's word to lost people in this city. He wants us to so engage in his work that everyone would have an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. It's what happened to Crispus. My spell checker was having terrible problems with Crispus. I've got crisps in my notes here. Crispus or crisps for sure. Uh, Crispus, verse 8, look at him. The synagogue ruler and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. This all happened through the word ministry of Paul. So notice the biblical pattern of how the Spirit of God works. Word ministry causes people to believe. And the way they show that they believe is that they get baptized. And so they become part of the local church. 
on mission with Jesus to reach the city. And I wonder, where are you on that line? Where are you on that line today? If you're not a Christian, well, keep coming to hear God's words. Why don't you think about coming to the Glad You Asked course or signing up for a Christianity Explored course where we go through Mark's gospel? Have you come to believe in the Lord Jesus? Well, what's the next step for you? Well, have you been baptized in a step of obedience to publicly declare your faith in Christ? Um, Come and speak to us if you'd like to be baptized. I think next Sunday we'll have five or six baptisms, I think. Numbers are yet to be finalized. But we've got a pool here. Well, we've still got a pool. Let's make use of it. Have you been baptized? Great. Well, have you committed yourself to a local church? Crispus, Crisps, showed his commitment to opening his home. It's probably where the church met in Corinth. Right next to the synagogue. Can you imagine the tension, the heat? Can you imagine the bricks through the, the windows every now and again? And yet he showed his commitment to the local church. Well, have you committed to being a member of this church, of partnering with us in the work of the gospel? Are we on mission with this glorious, risen Lord Jesus Christ this year? If you're a Christian believer, that's, that's why you're here in this city. I'm praying that there would be at least 50 people in this church who were going to give it a go of reading John's gospel with a non-Christian this year. People aren't wanting coming this this room, but let's take the word of God out to them. That that great tool, the word one-to-one. All you have to be able to do is read. Ask someone to read it with you. I'm praying that 50 people in our church will do that in 2015, and we'll see what the Lord Jesus will do with his words. I think it's going to be an exciting year, 2015. I think we've got great and precious promises to engage in this work. Lord Jesus would say to us today, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you, because I have many people in this city. Let's pray.